there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning and welcome to the show. 13th of July, but it's a Saturday, so it's not scary. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a bull market, my good friends, and that's what Jack and I love to do is play in the sandbox, and especially when it's a bull market. It's so much more fun, and uh, yeah, well, this week we saw the S&P 500 make a new high, the Dow Jones Industrial made a new high, uh, and of course, the tech-heavy NASDAQ uh, made a new high, and that is a, that's a space and a half uh, to pay attention to. Uh, one of the best investments, I would say, you know, for the last 25, 30 years have been the uh, the QQQs, the triple Qs, great way to get access to technology. It's one of the first ETFs launched back in the 90s, um, and before the uh, proliferation of uh, ETFs and just pure exposure to technology. Uh, my favorite analyst at Canaccord, I have to say, is this gentleman named Richard Davis. Uh, he's really uh, helped Jack and I uh, steer our clients into some real profitable uh, money-making U.S. tech ideas. Uh, Richard Davis is on the line, and I want to wish you a good morning, Richard, and thank you very kindly for joining us again on Hi-Fi Radio. Yeah, so a um, lot to talk about, Richard. Uh Software is working. Your space is working, um, and it is so expensive. Uh, it's egregiously priced, and that's where I uh, have to be very, very careful as a money manager because um, I, I can't lose. Cli- I can't lose money for clients. I got to be very careful to manage risk and not lose money. Um, if you don't put on risk, you don't make money. So there's a real paradox in this marketplace. You know, the we, you know we are Canadians. Um, of course, you're an American, and uh, there's less and less to do in Canada. You know, I look at the the value names, the oil names, the the commodity names, and they're doing absolutely nothing. Uh, I look at your names. Uh, you know, Anna Plan that you just steered us into. Uh, it's it's the top performing stock on my momentum index. I uh, bought some Okta. Uh, I capitulated here at home and even bought Shopify. Um, but there's three very, very expensive stocks. So Jack and I are moving in small. Uh, we're putting our toe in the water in these names here, and we're really crossing our fingers, hoping uh, momentum uh, in your space continues. So your space is disruptive. Your space is important. Um, it, it, it's change. And I do find when something's new, uh, a certain type of investor uh, gravitates towards anything new. Other other investors want to gravitate to yesterday's story, and they get stuck in yesterday's story. And Jack and I see that all the time. You know, people are still waiting for oil to come back, waiting for gold to come back. And sure, it will, and perhaps gold has uh, resurrected a wee bit. But uh, if you want to make money, Richard, and Jack and I have made uh, a disproportionate amount of our money in your names. Um, so o- Over the last, I'm going to say, three to five years, for sure, the software land. And, uh, yeah, but back, our growth, account, in, our growth accounts, Jack. Back in the day, the commodities were working, but we have to recognize that they're cyclical. And right now, they're very out of favor. And uh, you, you watch the cyclicals. You can watch the cheap stocks. But you want to make sure that if the market is going higher, you want to make sure as an investor that you're participating. Um, and although the software space is expensive here, uh, it continues to go in the right direction. And, and Rich has really helped us with that. Names like Microsoft, names like Adobe, Autodesk. Like you said, those are secular themes and leaders uh, in the cloud space. 
Yeah. Well, again, uh, the, our growth accounts, Richard, uh, many, many thanks to you. Much thanks to you. Uh, so far this year, up about 16.5% after fees. Um, so uh, very, very pleased with that. But we, uh, it, it is, I think it's game on, Richard. I think, you know, the market breaking out to new highs. Uh, tell us what's going on. What do you see? What are, you know, guys like Jack and I doing in America with money? How are they managing risk? How are they viewing the world of software? Please. Sure. I mean, look, so everyone think about it on the fundamentals and then what it's meaning for the stock. So on fundamentals, as you guys mentioned, I'm out in uh, San Francisco, you know, for basically the next two weeks visiting, you know, 30 private companies that, uh, you know, aspire to someday go public if they do well. So what I will tell you that's happening out here is we're kind of at a tipping point in terms of corporate upgrade cycle off of legacy systems. And you see that in the growth rates of these companies, they're all growing, you know, 20, 30, 40% at scale, which is pretty amazing. And it's, it's a great job. If you're in one of those winter companies, it's not a good job. If you're working at a legacy software company, I actually ran into a guy that works at one of those firms and he's just about to quit because he said literally his job all day is to just go from account to account and beg their clients not to leave. Them. Well, what firm is that he's working for? <laughs> he's working for a firm called IBM. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm surprised how long Big Blue hung around for. I, I gave it a lot of credit to, up to 10 well, years they, ago. It, yeah. it, you know, but it continued to be relevant up to 10 years ago. Obviously, someone blinked over at IBM. Well, they also just made a huge acquisition with Red Hat. I think that's the largest exactly. acquisition uh, in software. That's a good point. I owned Red Hat in the 4 or $5, Richard. I gave that. I didn't have you yeah. in my life when I owned Red Hat at 5 so, 6 so bucks. They, they are trying to get into the cloud space, and they're going to, yeah. I guess, maneuver through, through Red Hat. That's the... The, that, the point the of the acquisition. So, so IBM is begging clients to say, but uh, other people are beating the doors down of the likes of Shopify yeah. to become uh, a client, correct? Exactly, exactly. And what's, here's a little interesting stat. Um, for the first time ever in, this, in the software space, business software space, uh, we now have the kind of next generation, the cloud and infrastructure, the new companies, their market caps are now larger than the legacy software market cap. So it's about round numbers, 1.5 trillion for you know cloud and next-gen software and 1.3 trillion for the new guys. And, sorry, where, where does Microsoft like, fit into yeah. that? Which camp are they well, in? What I do, yeah, so what I do is I put Microsoft, it's a good question. We actually split Microsoft in half. And <laughs> it upgraded it. So you have Bill half Gates and then those the other guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so truth be told, that's a little bit of a kludge, but it's true because they have half of it is the cool stuff, which is the, you know, the LinkedIn, the Azure and stuff like that. And the other half is the legacy stuff. So that's a little bit of a, a flip, but it is fascinating because two years ago or three years ago, these new companies in terms of public companies were, yeah. 50% less, you know, a third of the size of the, of the big guys. So yeah. we've now gotten to that tipping point. So yeah. that, what happens is, is you bigger and bigger chunks are coming off of the legacy firms. And so what we think is going to happen is, is, you know, you heard Andreessen talk about, you know, he wrote, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, software is eating the world. Kind of every company is becoming a software company. And you can kind of, with the price of chips going to basically zero, with the price of computing going to zero, then basically what you need is software to model everything. And I, we, I mean, I think some of these big companies that eventually emerge from here are going to be, you know, 
five or ten times bigger than the stuff you see today. So wow. there's going to be some gigantic gigantic companies come out of it. Um, let's talk about, the, the, I want to go into the global payment space and talk about some of the other names that you're aware of, Paycom, Global Payments, and the likes. But we're going to go to commercial break. This is, of course, Analog Radio. And it's survived, Richard. You know, radio, you know, terrestrial radio yeah. has survived. I like and I tip my hat to the yeah. medium for just that. But Richard Davis, uh, in uh, you said San Fran right now, is that correct? You're in San Fran. He's visiting a bunch of uh, high-growth, high-velocity tech companies. The guy just knows what's going on in the Valley. Uh, He's here live on Hi-Fi Radio with Jack and I. More of it right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There's a uh, earworm for you, I hope. That's what I'm trying to do here. I put a little earworm in everyone's brain let you sing the song for the rest of the day. You dig that song, eh, Richard? I do. I like it. Yeah, you're a friend of ours, pal. Uh, our friend in software. Jack, it's good to have friends. And uh, far and wide, uh, Jack and I have our nets uh, thrown. And, uh, yeah, we like to work with good, intelligent people. Richard Davis is on the line. He's an analyst with Canaccord. He focuses in tech and specifically the world of software. Uh, there's so much disruptive software coming at us, and uh, as Richard recently put, you know, every company is becoming a software company. Um, let's talk about global payments because it does tie into, of course, Shopify and the likes. But uh, the the Visas, the Mastercards, uh, the PayPal's of the world, um, smaller transactions, more transactions, more digitization, less fiat currency. What I mean by that is we're not you're not stuffing our, our, our pockets with loonies and toonies and dollar bills anymore. We are doing more and more stuff on digitally. Uh, so let's talk about that space, Richard. Um, again, I bought some Fizzerv recently. Uh, I bought some PayPal. Uh, we don't own the credit cards just yet. Um, and we did buy Paycom. Uh, so, uh, you know, Jack and I want to participate, of course, in that area. Uh, what kind yep. of runway is in front of us? Uh, again, valuations. Uh, please speak to uh, the global payments business of the world, digital payments. Sure. So, uh, you know, really what's happening, and you hit it right on the head, is that, like, if you go to Europe, walk around, and people buy, you know, a, a cup of coffee that's, you know, a dollar fifty, and they use credit cards. In the U.S. or in Canada as well, still people walk around a little bit more with cash. And that's really the process actually coming over from overseas, and then even in Asia and Asia Pacific, you're seeing a lot more digital Payments And so that plays into the guys that are in our kind of wheelhouse of coverage would be like a Shopify, which is really just made creating an e-commerce site super easy. Um, and then uh, you mentioned Paycom. Paycom is more in the uh, payroll area, but that's a good, you know, that's a good automation area where you're just basically replacing the two guys primarily that are getting replaced there is ADP and to a lesser degree paychecks. And so that's another case where you're kind of living off the legacy and, 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 you know, creating a new, uh, a new technology. And, and look, I mean, here's the way that we think about it. Everyone's like, well, why do you need new software anyway? Well, I mean, ask yourself, have you gotten a new TV in the last 10 years? I mean, of course you have. That's, you know, you can watch standard deaf TV, but everyone wants HD. Well, why? Because it's better. So that's really what's happening in software. 
Right. And the, the payment space is really a generational thing, too. Uh, as the millennials right. uh, get into the you know their prime earning years, their prime spending years, they want a frictionless society and they want a frictionless payment system. And, you know, PayPal, we talk about Venmo. There's just, uh, like you said, it's just more efficient and a better way to, to move your money around. It's amazing how people are now walking around with a telephone with a small clip attached to it, which may have a piece of ID and maybe one credit card. But, uh, again, the notion of paying by telephone or by cell phone is quite, quite remarkable. Let's talk about that other name that uh, you you helped Jack and I get by, and I call it the uh, universal remote control because uh, I can't even turn my television on. Uh, but for the, for, for the world of uh, identity uh, software, yeah. So uh, the firm that that you guys are referring to is is called Okta, O K T A. And so what they've done is they figured out there's two guys actually that used to work at Salesforce, and then they kind of started their own company after they saw more and more of their customers using more and more different cloud applications. And it was like, man, this is a pain in the neck to use all these individual applications. And so the only alternative was either to have a pain in the neck to kind of sign in in five or six or eight different applications each time you wanted to switch from one to the other, which gave you good functionality but a bunch of hassle, or go, you know, stay with an Oracle or an SAP where they just, you know, tighten the screws on you all the time with old technology and raise prices. So people are like, well, this doesn't help very well. So what Okta did is they said, how about this? We'll do like a universal remote, allow you to connect into all of your applications securely. And know, and we know who Richard Davis is when he checks in and make sure it's him and then allow him access to all these applications. So you get the best functionality. So then now your company can use 10 or 12 different applications and you get in securely. So that's kind of a neat idea. And it's a, uh, you know, it's a super fast-growing company. It's they're doing it for not only corporations, but then corporations' customers and things like that. So it uh, it looks like a pretty nice long runway for these guys. Um, have you, by the way, Rich? I'm going to throw an email. Have you looked at Trade Desk yet? Uh, yet? I, you know, I know the name. I have not done any real. You know, it's software for media buyers. Again, I'm an old media guy. And I used yeah. to, well, there's a bunch of media shops in Toronto, for example, and they buy media, uh, radio, TV. and mm-hmm. uh, But th- this allows them to buy new media. But again, it's software taken over. They don't have a lot of thinking to do. They use the software. They run algorithms. And they basically uh, know so much about all of us, hence uh, with CRM, uh, that the, the targetability, it always amazes Jack. Uh, he always laughs. Wolf, I was looking for a... Uh, Snowblower, and up came 17 snowblowers in the last two weeks on my uh, cell phone. So he was amazed. Target marketing is off the charts. Rich, we're going to go back to a commercial break. Uh, again, I want to talk to you a little bit more about collaborative software and uh, come up with some of your best ideas for new money right here, right now. So uh, more with Rich Davis, our software analyst, uh, live uh, in uh, San Francisco. Uh, he's a real treat on Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Don't you know I'm still standing Yep, the NASDAQ is still standing. Boy, I remember when that NASDAQ, of course, I'm talking stock, that's what I do. I remember the NASDAQ hit 5,000 in 2000 and then fell some 80%. 
uh, only to, over, what, 15 years, rally back. And, well, this week it made a new all-time high, uh, eclipsing 8,200 on the uh, NASDAQ. Our good friend Rich Davis is all too familiar with it. Uh, he's our software analyst, the, the best in the business, uh, right now in San Francisco, our little treat, uh, learning about more companies. And uh, it's incredible when I speak to Richard because, this what comes out of his mind is just mind boggling uh, as to what he knows and he's looking forward and that's what the market's all about he looks forward the market looks forward and that's what tech is all about and that's why it's so exciting because it's not about yesterday it's about tomorrow Uh, and certainly the way these things are valued they are pricing in tomorrow and then some that's the only concern not for the faint of heart look we want to take a few things back to basics Jack brings up a good point we're talking about the cloud uh, and uh, some of you may say well it's a pretty sunny day out there I just see no clouds on the white wolf and Jack are talking cloud, but we're talking about cloud computing versus enterprise. So, Richard, can you help us all out? And I can certainly use a refresher on it. What is enterprise software? What is cloud software? And why this push to the latter, i.e., why the push to the cloud? And what's the benefit to all participants? Sure. So, enterprise software is software used by businesses. So, when you hear the phrase, you know, FANG, those are more consumer oriented companies. That's the the Amazons and the Facebook and Google, things yeah. like that. Exactly, exactly. So those, you know, those are fine companies, just not what what I'm doing. So what that is, is it's software that businesses use to get their work done. So it could be everything from your human resources to your customer outreach to your e-commerce and things like that and uh, procurement, that kind of thing. And the reason that people are going from companies are going from what's called on-premise to cloud is if you really think about the on-premise notion, it's kind of silly. It's like back, uh, you know, the best analogy was why do we have utilities today for electricity or, you know, uh, water and things like that? I mean, you in theory could have your own power plant at your house, but that would be kind of inefficient. So instead someone named... Uh, I, I got a notion of the Simpsons in my mind right now. I'm just thinking about Bart right now. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and so if you have a centralized... Uh, person, a centralized company that distributes the software on, over the internet, because now you have bandwidth to do that, it's much more convenient. And so really, if you think about what's happening in software, and this is just happening in the economy overall, it's what we would call kind of like experience. So if it's a good experience, people go to it. So in your personal life, you know, why do you use Uber versus a taxi cab? Well, it's more convenient. Why do you, you know, maybe buy a mattress from Casper versus going to the store because it's more convenient? Why do you watch movies on Netflix versus waiting for that, you know, waiting through the ads on commercial TV. Those I'm waiting for things. Blockbuster to come so, back myself. I love Blockbuster. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I miss it. <laughs> I have to re- I have to <laughs> but you're right. You're right. It's about convenience. Yeah. yeah. And so the businesses are feeling the same way. They're like, why do we need to buy all these servers and provision them and have them down in the basement, et cetera? Why don't we just access this via the cloud? And then meanwhile, those software companies are constantly upgrading the software as we, and so we don't have to deal with it. You know, Richard, it's, ama- it Richard, you know, it's incredible. But no, it's incredible you say yeah. that because Canaccord, we just moved floors in Toronto from 29 to 31 a couple of years ago. And on our 29th floor, we had a server room that basically ran yeah. our, our in-house network, I think both for Toronto and Vancouver. And it had everything in triplicate. It had triplicate in terms yeah. of air conditioning, in terms of reserve power. I went into that room. It was unbelievable. Believable because they had in uh, in room air conditioning units like multi ton. Yeah. It was incredible. It was worth a lot well, of well, money. Most, I would say most of the enterprise software still is run locally. It's not in the cloud, and the shift is oh, going yeah. to the cloud yeah. without question. Well, but, what, uh, sorry, what, what percent, uh, Richard? To, to to Jack's point there. 
Somewhere, yeah, no more than the highest number I've seen is twenty percent. The lowest number I've huh. seen is ten. Right, and that's why it's so a growth. Like, yeah. yeah, that's Sorry, good. And that's yeah. why there's growth. And and Rich actually brought a good company to our attention. Service now it's sort of a bridge between the gap, right? So you yeah. have that enterprise software, but these guys are able to take it to the cloud. I was wondering if Rich could maybe speak to that for us. Sure. Yeah. So what? So about half of all business software is what's called is software that's written by the companies themselves. So like if you're a commercial bank or something and you want to have a onboarding, you know, account onboarding uh, application, you know, a big company, Salesforce or whatever, is probably not going to write that app because it's, it's just too small for them to pay attention to. So half of all software is, is written by these companies themselves. ServiceNow is the company that gives you the hammers and nails to build those kind of internal apps. So their addressable market is basically half of all uh, enterprise applications out there, which is, you know, fifty hundred billion dollar addressable market coming at the expense of BMC, HP, IBM, CA, you know, parts of Hitachi, parts of Oracle, stuff like that. So they're kind of, you know, if you one of the things you always want to do is pick your pick your opponents. And so those are opponents that are you really want to pick because they're not particularly Fleet-footed, unbelievable. To speak to the, the the other name that I'm very intrigued by that we Jack and I bought is Atlassian Corp. Yep. So Atlassian, remember what I said? We talked earlier on every company is becoming a software company. Mm-hmm. So if you actually like wheel over to and talk to like Coca Cola or you talk to even General Motors or whatever, they have groups of people writing software for apps. I mean, cars now are becoming more and more you know rolling computers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I still remember uh, Knight Rider. Remember that old Kit? Was it was the guy? It was called Kit. Kit. Yeah. Yes. That was so cool. Was that a Camaro? I think it was a Camaro, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah. Oh, that's funny, Richard. So, in any case, Atlassian basically ha- is the software that helps developers, you know, be more productive. So think of it as Microsoft Office, you know, for normal office workers like mm-hmm. you and me, we write emails, we write, you know, reports and things like that. Yeah. It's send them back and forth, change them to like, yeah, right. It's, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's productivity tools for developers. And that would include everything from, you know, writing the code, check in and check out, you know, FAQs is like, Oh, what are you working on? You know, all this other kind of stuff. So it's collaborative tools, really cool company. They're headquartered out in uh, Sydney, Australia, Hmm. They literally started with money from their own credit cards, did not raise a single dime of money on their own. They've basically been profitable from day one, and uh, that's really rare in this business. So that just shows you how powerful their business is. Well, it's it's a very dynamic space. Uh, Jack and I, I said we 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 have about ten or twelve of your names, Richard. Small positions in each, um, so it, it, it's it's a good uh, barbell against uh, some of our value plays and our Canadian REITs and our well financials as a whole. Because in many ways, the exact opposite of the financials right now uh, in terms of yeah. market performance. So uh, every dog has its day. Uh, tech is back. Tech is hot. Um, Always uh, seek professional advice and make sure you don't uh, take on more than you can chew. And I have to <laughs> remind myself about that every now and then, too, Richard Davis. Uh, you have yourself a great week, and I can't yeah. thank you enough for joining thank us. Thank you and so much. Yeah, real pleasure, Richard. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great week. You too. Thanks. Bye. Well, it is uh, Hi-Fi Radio. We are halfway through with this very exciting show, which means uh, there's still half more to come. Yes, the glass is half full uh, on Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 
Welcome back to the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto, Wolfgang Klein, Earhouse. It is a show about money, and uh, it is such a big topic. Uh, there's so many different directions Jack and I would like to go with the topic of money. And, well, on this show, we try to uh, hit all quadrants. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, interest rates right now and, most importantly, mortgage rates. Uh, we have uh, Drew Donaldson Drew Donaldson in this studio. Uh, Drew is a uh, – he's our go-to guy. Uh, when it comes to uh, mortgage brokers. Uh, he really, really is. Uh, Drew does a very good job. He shops the market, and uh, he does his best to get our clients. Uh, and right now, Jack is potentially one of his clients. Uh, best rate. Uh, let's talk about Jack first and foremost. Uh, to, or Jack, shall I say, can we talk about you here on the show? Do you mind? Sure, absolutely. All right. So yep. what, are you, what are you up to with your mortgage, Jack? And uh, what are the questions you're asking, Drew? And uh, talk to us. So I moved uh, into my existing house right now about five years ago, took on a new mortgage at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually have two mortgages. My previous mortgage that I had in my old house, and then I upgraded, so I put a, uh, probably about 150000 or so on my new on my new place. Mm-hmm. Uh, five years later, uh, go back to the bank to renegotiate. Uh, never thought I'd actually get a lower rate than I got the previous five years. What was your previous rate, your current rate? It's about 3%. You're at, th- you're at three right now, yeah. Right. So uh, on that mortgage that, th- that just came up, uh, I was offered 2.94 mm-hmm. for five years. That sounds good. So I called Drew up because yeah. that's what I do. Uh, yeah. you know, if you have an expert, you may as well leverage them. I said, what, what's the well, current? At least, at least ask them. At least yeah, call, what, what's call. the current market rate? Because honestly, I know that the five-year is inverted right now, which means it's, it's very cheap. It's, it's lower than um, the three-month in terms of uh, interest rates. But uh, where's the, ma- the market at? For mortgages, and and then Drew went through some uh, some details with me. So Drew, if you'd like to, to share those yeah, with the audience, yeah, I mean you can go through the two nine nine is kind of the market rate right now, but we can get as low as uh, two seven nine on a switch transfer. So I think that's when when I asked you the question if you're refinancing, taking money out, or if it's just going to be the exact same mortgage amount that you're transferring over to the new institution, that's when it can get a little bit more competitive where they don't have to re-register the mortgage. It's better for investors. But Jack, right. what's and your problem? You told me that you had an issue here that you're sort of like tied to the bank for one well, the, reason. The, the you issue have two is that you have two mortgages, right? With, with the same maturities. lender? With the same lender? Same lender. Different two, maturities. Two different maturities, which sort of gets you stuck in a, a bit of a pickle. So, so Drew gave me some advice there too. You can, um, because of the penalties potentially with uh, being with one of the big banks, he said you can either line up your mortgages so that they mature together. So when I renew this one, have it renew at the same time as the next one. You probably have to get an open mortgage for that. Uh, so you're gonna and change, then you can change, go to the market and then and then renegotiate. You're going to change your maturity date. You're, you're, you're going to line up the two maturity dates. I so see. You have, I have an existing one that's going to mature in about 18 months. Right. So have the, the one that I'm negotiating right now line up to for mature at months. the same I date. See. And then when, when that happens, then you can go to the open market and get the best rate. Except in 18 months, interest rates perhaps could be higher. That is your There's risk. There's some uncertainty. Absolutely. There, yeah. Yeah. Um, Drew, uh, money is cheap without question. Um, size of mortgages that Jack and I see are, are, are often quite daunting. Uh, Toronto's an expensive city. Vancouver's an expensive city. Uh, typically, when you're, when you're dealing with a, a detached home in Toronto, uh, what, what type of typical mortgage do you tend to uh, end up bringing to the table? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's changed a lot over the years. They're definitely going up as far as the mortgage size goes. Um, people, the high net worth individuals are definitely using their mortgage as a tool. So they're getting on the phone with their accountants. They're saying, how much should we put down? How much should we pull out of our corporations? Um, but I've seen, I mean, I've got a few right now over $5 million on the mortgage size. Uh, we're doing some refinances, three, $4 million houses. We're leveraging it up to 70, 75%, but they're using the money for investment purposes. 
So I don't know if you'd call that risky when they feel like they're, you know, putting the money to work, not just buying big screen TVs. Mm-hmm. But there, there's definitely, uh, there's an appetite out there when their bank says we're only going to give you 50 or 60% loan to value and we can get them, you know, 65, 70, 75% loan to value. There's definitely an appetite out there for the high net worth. So that's where you can step in, where the where you will offer them a higher ratio mortgage uh, over the bank on, uh, exclu- on high net worth homes. In other words, uh, this home threshold, speaking about the high net stuff, you're talking about two, three, four million dollar homes. They, they don't fall in the same category as a home under a million. Can you speak to that point? Yeah, so the under a million is we can get a lot more aggressive on interest rates. So I would say if you're looking at the mortgage market, under a million is still somewhat a commodity, right? What's the best rate? You know, we can get out there, CMHC financing, 299s. I did one the other day, 2.59% on a five-year fixed, CMHC insured. As soon as you get over a million, it's a lot more about the strategy. It's a lot more about, okay, you know, maybe they've got multiple properties. Uh, I think I've said it before, but using your mortgage as a tool when you get over the million dollar mark, because people have a lot more going on with their investment portfolio and, and just different things they want to do with their money. Interest rates are still competitive. They're not necessarily as low as the first time home buyer. Ironically enough, uh, we are in studio here with uh, Drew Donaldson. Drew Donaldson is a mortgage broker, um, a, an excellent person to get a quote from uh, whenever uh, you're looking at uh, borrowing money, renewing money. Uh, so don't just go into your bank. You should get a couple different quotes and go into a broker like uh, Drew Donaldson. I think can uh, well perhaps save you uh, you know five or ten basis points and on uh, several hundred thousand dollars. It certainly adds up. Uh, this is Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about money. I'm Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, uh, my partner and co-host on the show. Uh, more of it right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show about money. It is Hi-Fi Radio. Good morning. I'm Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, co-host. Of course, Jack and I do manage money for a few hundred uh, very, very fortunate Canadian families. Uh, of course, if you have any questions about money, you can always contact us. Uh, Jack and I do good work, and uh, we're always open for business, I shall say. Um, again, we take a big-picture approach to our clients, and we hold hands, uh, so Top down, bottom up, we do it all. And part of the big picture is helping our clients certainly uh, pay off their debt and uh, uh, look at all aspects of, of, of finance uh, as a tool, uh, I shall say, because that's what Drew Donaldson uh, views a mortgage at. Certainly when you're going to um, high ratio mortgage or uh, over a million dollar mortgage, it becomes a financial tool. And I totally agree with him. And we have to be aware of these tools, uh, be it an RSP to defer tax or an RESP to get grant or life insurance. Uh, or dividend tax credits. Uh, there's multiple tools out there, and that's all these things are different instruments. We want to help you learn how to use them, uh, so you'll ultimately, uh, on a risk-adjusted basis, be a wealthier person. Uh, so we are here to help. Uh, Drew, I can't get over how cheap money is. Like, you know, a four hundred thousand dollar, five hundred thousand dollar mortgage is a daunting number, but. The scary thing is, and that's what really has driven real estate prices to the stratosphere, is affordability. Uh, believe it or not, real estate at these levels 
for many Canadians, is sort of still affordable. Although I, I did uh, catch a story, I think it was an RBC study, saying only 20% of Canadians today can actually afford to buy a detached house in Toronto. Uh, and, of course, we've had Brad Lamb in studio many times. He said, well, the world has changed, and we can't necessarily start now with a detached brick home in Toronto as our first home. We have to start with a condo and then move to maybe a townhouse, then maybe a detached home. So, I think that study was a bit skewed, too, because you don't really want to take the average Canadian income and then apply it to the Toronto market. You, Toronto, actually, you, you should be looking yeah. at the Toronto, the average Toronto income, and then looking at you know the the Toronto real estate market. But, so, you know it, you have to look at apples to apples. So I'm going to I'm gonna date myself now, Jack, because again you're yep. renewing your mortgage. And again, when I bought my first home in 1990, uh, mortgage rates were 11 and three quarter percent. So to carry a hundred thousand dollar mortgage, at that point I had a hundred fifty thousand dollar mortgage. So to carry a hundred fifty thousand dollar mortgage back then, uh, P and I principal and interest uh, cost uh, about fifteen hundred dollars a month. It was about a thousand for a hundred thousand. It was about nine fifty for a hundred thousand. Today you can borrow a hundred thousand dollars, Drew, at your two point nine nine percent for a monthly rate of what four hundred twenty dollars? Yeah, about four fifty, four seventy five. Four fifty, four hundred fifty bucks a month. So you can, you, in fact, if you can borrow a million dollars for forty five hundred dollars a month, and that's with a twenty five year amortization. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty standard. So it's remarkable because that money is cheap. It is that is so so cheap, uh, and that is again, you know, uh, my my thousand dollars a month only carried a hundred. Uh, that same thousand dollars today carries two fifty, uh, and hence uh, real estate prices are up, you know, several hundred percent in the last uh, 25, 30 years. Uh, it is such a function of interest rate. Now, the urban center, certainly Canada and tra- here in t- Toronto, is attracting a lot of international money. And what we are seeing is when foreigners come to market, um, taking that home and, and using it as a multiple dwelling uh, resident, correct, Drew? In other words, renting out part of it, they're getting two families into it, three families into it yep. to share, to get a foothold in the marketplace. And then from there, they expand, correct? Yep. Triplexes, duplexes, basement suites going for twelve, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500 definitely helps with the mortgage payment. Well, you know, when I bought my first home, I lived in the basement and I rented out the main floor. I did that for five years. Uh, and of course, my tenants, uh, little son, like to play basketball on a Saturday morning. I was down to, it was so painful. But the price we have to pay, my good friend, uh, to, to get ahead. Um, at, at, at 3%, uh, at 420 a month, um, million dollar home in Toronto, how much down uh, is, is currently required? Is it 20% down? Yeah, so the government came out a couple of years ago, 20% down on a million dollars or more is the minimum. As soon as you get over 1.5 million, it hits sliding scale, scale metrics, which a lot of the lenders start to scale back on how much they'll they'll give you. So technically 20, sometimes it goes to 25%. You get over two and a half million, you're looking at 30% down. And, uh, you know, some exceptions apply to that. Well, look, I tell you what, it, it is a weekend. Uh, hope you're at the cottage. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. Uh I uh, have a little farm, a uh, family farm up in Halliburton, uh, not worth a lot of money. Uh, it's about 1500 bucks an acre, Drew. Uh, 100 acres worth 300000 bucks. I kid you not. You, on the other hand, and Jack, on the other hand, uh, you guys uh, every now and then uh, head up to the Muskokas for some extended family and some fun and play. And uh, when you speak to me and share with me what's going on in the real estate market in the Muskokas, I, my, my jaw continues to drop. Uh, so let's talk about uh, mortgages on cottages. Um, we're going to go to commercial break and get right back to it with Drew Donaldson. Uh, if you're looking at a cottage, uh, looking at extending your uh, 
life cycle, shall I say, uh, cottage country, and uh, need to find a way to finance it. Drew Donaldson uh, may be able to help you. He's a mortgage broker. Uh, he is in studio with Jack and I on Hi-Fi Radio. It is 640 in Toronto. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, good morning and welcome back to the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein, your host. It is a show about money and uh, Jack and I are, of course, here to help you steward uh, your wealth in the right direction. Well, if you're up in the Muskokas, uh, yeah, these are good times, aren't they? Uh, just look at the wealth in Lake Muskoka and Lake Rosso and uh, what's the other big one up there, Jack's Lake Joseph. Lake Joseph. Lake yep. Joseph. It's just incredible, the wealth and uh, Drew, tell me something. When, when, you, when you're boating around these uh, three great lakes and, and you see the wealth, um, the, 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 the multiple, the, sorry, the, the range first and foremost on cottage up there, guys. What's the range on a cottage, low end, high end, high end? Like about a million bucks on the bottom end? Can you get anything for a million bucks on that? I'd say a million to a million and a half is a starter. Okay. House or a and cottage and, and, and how, how high does value go up there, guys? Uh, uh, anywhere from, I don't know, the very high end is, yeah. I don't know, 10 to 14, 15 million dollars. Yeah, I know someone who's got their cottage listed for 16 million. Whether he sells it or not is another question. All right, so let me tell you, can we, Drew, and, and obviously in confidence, this is you know, Hi Fi Radio, um, <laughs> uh, 16 million dollar cottage. What kind of net worth do you think that individual might have? I can't really comment on that, but I would assume anywhere from 20 to 30 million and then maybe higher. This, so they have 20 or 30 million of net worth, but they got 16 of it in a cottage, you think? I mean, it varies. Or is there a lot, lot, lot of debt strapped onto that baby? Uh, there, I mean, again, I don't have him as a client or anything like right. that, so I don't want to comment. Um, but there's there's other wait, wait, families wait, wait, up there. But no, you can't comment because they're not a client. Once they're a client, you yeah, can't true, comment. True. Yeah. So you know what? I think I think he probably has some debt on it, uh, maybe two, three, four million dollars, and uh, he leverages that into other plays up there. Right. And uh, he's he's fairly established, so. And like Drew said, just because you ask that price doesn't mean you get it. It's a relatively illiquid market when you get to that level. You really have to find a, a niche buyer because there's not a whole lot of people looking to sink no, I just 15, have to, I, $16 million I just dollars ask into a cottage property. I, no, that's just, I just ask myself, like, how much wealth does an individual have to have to justify spending 10 or 15 on it on good times at the cottage for a couple of months? And uh, the, the flooding that you experienced up there was not good times uh, start of the season. And so the costs associated with maintaining I, – I, I've heard of people spending a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to maintain their compounds that have been created up in the Muskokas with multiple buildings and staff, uh, etc. And, and that's et cetera, why there's a huge cetera. rental market up there right now because people are willing to spend for a summer in Muskoka. They're willing to spend I don't know sixty to hundred grand just for the fact that they don't want to have the maintenance. They don't want the nonsense. They want to be able to when they leave give the keys back and come back next summer. Yeah, yeah. So, so Drew, tell us um, how do the banks and 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 the the brokerage business, the mortgage brokerage business, view? Uh, recreational property, different standards, I believe, and, and, and what kind of thresholds do we have to be aware of when borrowing money, and what are the rates to borrow for such property? Yeah, I mean, rates are still fairly competitive, um, but there's also there's type A and type B cottages. So type B is like an island where, you know, maximum, I would say, is 65% loan-to-value on that. Uh, some of these luxury cottages are ones that are four-season, you know, road access, you can go up in the wintertime. I mean, we can get financing the same as we'd get on a house. So, Yeah. 
It two, depends. Two nine nines, two eight nines, you know, leveraged up to 80% loan to value, that kind of thing. So a, a standard cottage, lakefront, a couple hundred feet that you can drive up to, park your car, and uh, pull up the seat in and drive by Jack's place. He loves those things. He likes me. Go, go, buy, pay, go, go pay Jack a visit, by the way. He'd love to see you. He'd wave at you. Hey, Jack? <laughs> From the dock <laughs> until I get my boat fixed? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, on Lake but so basically, yeah, we're up on Walker's Point. Oh, my nice. parents are. So, so basically, uh, loan to value 80%. 80% loan to value, and then it gets back into the sliding scale, right? Some of those families, they've got the massive cottages. Well, over $1.5 million, you start to scale back on the loan to value. But if you're buying for $1 million, $1.2, up to $1.5, I mean, we can do 80% financing on those. How much did you say? Uh, 80% financing, so 20% down. 20% down. But you talk, uh, about, so you talk about regulation. Back in the day, and this is even before I was looking at mortgages or anything, you couldn't even get a, a mortgage on a second property. Correct. That's my point. So in terms of valuations... Right. As regulation changes, as you have more access to capital, it means that people are willing to spend more on these places because they have access to capital. They can push the prices up. Um, in terms of cottage country, do you do a lot of business up there? Starting to do a ton of business up there. There's not really a major mortgage guy in the area, and I've kind of done some advertising and infiltrated. Mm-hmm. So. I'm becoming quite well known because the question I want to ask you: We see a lot of foreign money pushing up real estate prices, and, you know. And as a resident of Canada, as a Canadian with three children, it does frustrate me. I have to be very, very frank: When foreigners push up our prices, it frustrates me. I just reverse course. I, I push up the U.S. stock market and the tax stairs, and I, I, I get back at them, push their prices higher. Uh, that's what the, you know, the world's flat. So money, money is fluid, and it goes where it's welcome. Money's welcome here in Canada. We're seeing it in Toronto. We're seeing it in Vancouver. Are we seeing foreigners, um, you know, take money out of Hong Kong and? Buy buy luxury cottages up in the Muskoka's guys? I, I'm starting to see more foreigners come into the market for sure. I mean, there's private jets now landing from California and Europe, and it, it's getting pretty crazy up there. My one friend is renting his cottage for, uh, he's got two cottages side by side, 18000 a week per cottage to a family overseas. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the market's starting to explode. I see, uh, you know, a lot more of, you know, the Chinese buyers and, and, and other people coming up to the market, which is good to see because Muskoka was always a kind of a, an old school Canadian town. And now it's, it's good to see it represented similar to like a Toronto. It, it's certainly not a secret anymore. All you have to look at is the 400 on a weekend, either going up or coming back home. And you realize how many people are really going up there. And when you have that, when you have that many buyers, that many sellers, that many people with access to a market, it becomes a more efficient market without question. So you get more, I'm not saying that the valuations are fair, but they're fairly priced in terms of, uh, at least when you look at one cottage to the next, it's, it's kind of difficult to find a gem up in Muskoka right now. And you're not going to p- find a, a value play up there. Yeah. It, it, it speaks to the economy overall. When, it, when, you know, when you see the kind of ac- economic activity uh, of vehicles moving around the city, uh, of valuation of cottages, uh, there is a lot of money out there. And as such, in terms of this notion of a recession anytime soon, don't see it. Bank of Canada said uh, this week, guys, right? They're not going to be lowering interest rates. So uh, perhaps it is a good time to lock in uh, your rates. And uh, would you agree with that, the, Drew, in, in five seconds? Uh, yeah, I would say variables higher than fixed rates, which is unprecedented. Never happened before. Variable happen higher than fixed. Yeah, because I was always for 20 years. That's, that's, exactly, that's, exactly what, that's exactly what I was quoted when I went to the bank. Variable was higher than fixed. And yeah. then, you know, you want to have a variable rate when when interest rates are going lower. Right and now, when, right and, now, and right, when you have flexibility with cash flow. Absolutely. Right now, you're at historic lows and yep. you have an inverted yield curve, which for the average investor means you can get money cheaper 
when you borrow for five years versus overnight. You know, I, I, you got me going here because you seeing inverted yield curve, people don't understand what that means. That means short-term interest rates higher than long-term interest rates. And Jack, it's, it's amazing because Drew said that he's, he's confirming that when variable rate, which is short-term interest rates, are higher than the five-year. So the mortgage market curve is inverted, my good friends. Oh, I hope that uh, didn't hurt you too much. I know it's early in the morning, but it's Hi-Fi net, Radio. Net, lock it in. It's the point. Net, net, Soviet. Net, net, Soviet. Uh, this is Hi-Fi Radio. I want to wish you a great weekend. I want to thank uh, Drew Donaldson from SafeBridge uh, Financial. He's the uh, big wig over there. If you need a quote on a mortgage, uh, uh, SafeBridge Financial, Drew Donaldson is, uh, well, he's our buddy. We like him. And so he joined us on Hi-Fi Radio for the weekend. Uh, all the best to you, my good friends. Never hesitate to contact Jack or I. And if you're up on Lake Muskoka, you buzz by Jack's dock. I'd love to say hi to you. You have yourself a good one. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.